for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 10, The Text Generation. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and this is a podcast for you. If you have young kids, hold on, it's coming. If you have teenagers, you know you need to listen because this is a daily event dealing with screen time and your kids. Every parent needs to listen to this episode. I'm also going to talk with Dr. Josh Straub, author of Safe House. Josh is an expert in technology and kids, and he knows all the research about what effect technology has on kids. Tough stuff to listen to, but you need to hear it. As always, I'll share three points to ponder so that you have something to apply right away. I'll address two questions that came from social. One is about a mother who writes in she's the primary breadwinner and her husband's a stay-at-home dad. What effect does that situation have on their daughter? Second question is about cutting off contact with an older child who's making bad decisions. And remember, don't just download, click subscribe. I'll tell you why. When you subscribe, new episodes update automatically for you. Parents, I want to tell you about the Strong Parent Project that I created just for you because I want to help you go deeper on 12 principles that you need to know about on raising great kids. I have said, and you've heard me say this before, that raising great kids requires a plan, and I've written one for you, a plan that really works. You can go to megmeekermd.com and click on the Strong Parent Project, where you'll find more information about my first online course, The 12 Principles of Raising Great Kids. I created this just for you. I want you to listen in on a conversation I had with Dr. Josh Straub, an expert in electronics and kids. This is a topic that affects every single parent. So hold on, parents. This is going to be a great episode. Thanks for listening and stay with us. I have a guest in studio with me today, Dr. Josh Straub. Josh holds a PhD in psychology, and he is um, just a wealth of information. He's a speaker, an all-around smart guy, and he knows a lot about electronics and kids. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So, you have a PhD in psychology. What got you interested in studying kids and technology? Well, I have two little ones, first of all, yeah. um, and uh, but they don't have iPhones yet. They don't do have iPhones. No, they're only they're going to be two and four in August, so we're not. Um, <laughs> they better if they have iPhones. You and I need to talk. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, we. Um, you know, one of the things that were uh, that, that allowed me to begin studying this was I'm looking at this next generation and I'm realizing the amount of time that kids are spending on technology and starting to see some of the research outcomes of this amount of technology on kids. And it concerns me for my kids' generation. It's very frightening. And I want to say right up front in this podcast, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about are scary and they're sobering and the reason for alarm, but they're not 
reason for fear because parents should never parent out of fear. We need to just take charge. But we need to know what is out there and what our kids are up against. And so that's what, what's very important. What What are some of the most startling things you've learned in your research about kids and technology? Absolutely. And, and I want to just echo off of that before we even get started to say I'm not against technology. I use it. We have it. Uh, but if we don't put brakes on, it's like the automobile. I, uh, everywhere I speak, I ask, how many of you do not drive an automobile because you absolutely hate it uh, or you fear it and, and nobody have, have, has ever raised a hand? Uh, the reality is, is cars are great. They're, they're great for us. They get us from point A to point B. But without safety measures, they take the physical lives yeah. of, of people, you know? It, it's very dangerous stuff. Yep. What happened was the car was mass produced in 1908. And it wasn't until 1941 that standard disc brakes were put on the automobiles. It took 41 years for Listen to standard you, disc brakes. You car buff. I'm not really. I just I realize if we wait 41 years to start putting on brakes on technology, we could lose the emotional and spiritual lives yeah. of an entire generation. And that's my heart. So it's not that I'm against it. I'm for screen balanced homes. Yes. I think the biggest and, and the most startling thing that I think will kind of go throughout this entire conversation is that what technology is doing to our kids today is it's making them more self-centered. Mm. Uh, how, so, how so? A lack of empathy. Uh, well, if you think about just the very nature of setting up a social media profile, we create followers. We have people who follow us. And uh, a lot of teenagers today, they take the time you, you just talk to teenagers, what they do is they spend time doctoring up their images to make themselves look good, mm-hmm. uh, look more glamorous than their lives really might be. Uh, and then they wait to the right times to post those pictures when they know they're going to get the most likes, the most comments, and the most feedback and interaction. So, so it becomes very self-centered. It becomes very much about them right. in, in that relation. And so what we're doing is, if you think about the word muse, for instance, the word muse means to think deeply. Mm-hmm. You put the letter A in front of a word, it negates the definition. Yes. Well, technology itself, these social media platforms are designed to amuse, right. which means our kids are not necessarily thinking deeply. Mm. And so we're becoming not just less empathetic. Our kids are also becoming, as Pulitzer Prize winning Nicholas Carr wrote, uh, he wrote a book called The Shallows, that our next generation is becoming more shallow mm-hmm. as well in how they think. So those are some of the most startling findings that, that, that I have seen. And, and that's not to say they're shallow people. They're just being led to a lifestyle of living shallow. Absolutely. Let me give you a great example of this. Um, one research study found that uh, it takes at least 15 minutes of boredom for creativity to begin to kick in. Wow. So so we're becoming a generation that's that's just doesn't like to sit with our thoughts for too long. Well, kids don't like to sit with their thoughts, but parents don't want the kids to be bored. I think yeah. parents believe that part of good parenting is making sure that your kids are engaged or entertained all the time. And so what I have found in this generation of parents is that is that parents work hard to avoid boredom for their children. Yeah. And I've often said your kids need to learn how to deal with boredom because the truth is a lot of life is boring. So you have to learn how to make it not boring. Do kids also create a different persona than they really are? Yeah, research shows that boys tend to be in their social media uh, postings boys tend to be more macho. Mm-hmm. They tend to show more macho 
ism, if you will, uh, in their posts and in their pictures. It's interesting because girls can, can kind of go two ways with this. Girls who see themselves as uh, smart or kind uh, outside of, of social media or offline mm-hmm. will tend to present themselves as being more funny and carefree online. And girls who have a low self-esteem will present, offline will present themselves to look more sexy or more beautiful, or, or more crazy, if you will, like fun, crazy, right. sexy online, yeah. uh, is what some research studies show. Is that good or is that bad? Healthy or unhealthy? Well, I think, it's, I think it's unhealthy. <laughs> I think yeah. it's ultimately yeah. unhealthy if you're presenting yourself to be someone that you're really not. I agree. And the reason I ask the question is I think that there are some parents or teachers who think it's good for kids to sort of express another side of themselves or to create a different persona and and to explore that. And I agree that it's very unhealthy mm-hmm. because it's destabilizing for a child emotionally and it's very confusing and it's dangerous. Well, and let me go back to your fear-based parenting uh, for a second. A lot of times what we're doing as parents is we're scaring our kids away from relationship with us to the point that they're creating uh, identities on Instagram and Snapchat. There's a big uh, move away from Facebook for young kids today because their parents are on it. And so they're creating Snapchat profiles. They're creating uh, Instagram profiles, Vine profiles, Whisper, Ask FM. These are the newer apps that children and teenagers are going to today. And, and they're hiding themselves and creating different personas on those to the point that they're anonymous uh, in, wow. in a lot of cases. I, so, didn't, I, I knew they were doing that, but I didn't know why they were leaving Facebook. I thought they were leaving Facebook because it's too slow for them. Well, part of it is the attention span. Mm. Um, uh, there's a lot more longer postings on Facebook, but a lot of it is also their parents being on there. And they don't want their parents to see. Yeah, they don't want, so they're creating profiles that, that they know their parents can't, can't get a hold of. So how can they do those other aspects of social media, Instagram, and, and so on and so forth without their parents seeing? Creating profiles where their name isn't They're attached not, to okay, it. Yeah, okay. Their name's not attached to it. So it's different usernames, that kind of thing, different online personas. Okay. Yeah. And I think anybody can understand that when your kids withdraw from you and you're a parent, um, that that's a very unhealthy thing for the relationship and it's an unhealthy thing for them because you and I know that the way for a child to really develop a strong identity is is engagement with a parent mm. because they're they're connected to that parent by a need and they need to know what their parent thinks and they need to know you know what their parent believes about them so is it true that girls tend to be engaged in social media more than boys and boys tend to do games more frequently than the girls or what's the difference in the way boys and girls use yeah in a lot of cases um Girls are going online. I don't think there's a big difference across the research in the amount of time that they're on. It's just they're doing different things in a lot of cases. Okay. So a lot of boys, yes, they're, they're more into the video gaming. Girls go online more so to check in with their peers, to check in with social standing, to check in with stat. It, it's all about relate. It, it comes back to relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the whole identity piece. It, but it really isn't a relationship. Yeah. It's a status. Aren't they going on to look and say, how many people clicked like? Yeah. Do people like me? That goes back to the shallow piece. It's yeah. not that our kids are shallow by any stretch of the imagination, but 
they're basing their identity in doing this in in their relationships are more breadth than they are depth yes and yes. that's and yeah i mean there's research uh, out there to to support that and the research out there also shows that this was university of stanford study that found that girls who are multitasking double screening using more screens than once uh, constantly being online to find their identity cuz middle school age is very, very critical, as you know, especially for a girl in finding who she is in her social standing. Yeah. And what happens when you're online more than you're in face-to-face eye contact is you're not seeing the facial expressions, mm-hmm. right? 93% of communication is nonverbal. Right. So we're talking tone of voice. We're talking facial expressions. We're talking, I'm talking with my hands right now. Yeah. Uh, we're talking body language. There's all of these other ways of communicating that help us in learning how to relate and how to have empathy with other people that is totally missing when our teenagers are living online more so than in face-to-face eye contact. So the reality is, is these studies are showing that the more, I describe it as lowercase eye contact, lowercase eye, like an iPad or an iPhone, eye contact versus face-to-face E-I-E contact. E-I-E contact, that face-to-face contact is critical for brain growth. It's critical for the parts of the brain to help us develop empathy and self-control. And when we can engage that with our kids and we engage our kids in more face-to-face eye contact, it overcomes the online activity that they're engaged in. Let's talk numbers. How many hours a day on average are girls and boys spending in front of a screen? Well, texting alone, teenagers, uh, research out there shows that texting alone is two hours a day. Texting. Texting alone is two hours a day. Mm. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they used to say zero time in front of screens, 8 to 18 should have only two hours apart from homework. Uh, Yet our 8 to 18-year-olds are spending as much as 11 hours a day in front of a screen. And screen is video games, it's texting, it's it's everything. And a lot of those hours, they've got multiple screens. Yeah, double screens. They're texting on their phones and they're on their computer or their iPad or whatever. Concurrent, yeah. Okay. Also, the average age of first-time screen exposure in 1970 was four years of age. Today, it's four months of age. Mm. And our kids younger than five are getting 40% of their waking hours in front of a screen over four hours a day. And they're spending a lot more time in front of a screen than in school. Yes. and But here's even a bigger part of this, especially for those under the age of five, are the times that their parents are spending on a screen while their little one is pulling on the leg going, mommy, daddy, look at me, look at me, look at me. To me, that's one of the biggest issues here. Yeah, exactly. You know, and one of the things I talk about in in monitoring screen time or setting up family rules is that the parents have to lead. And I can't tell you the amount of mail that I get from mothers or fathers who say, help, help, help. My spouse won't get off their phone and the Mm. kids are suffering. They literally are addicted to or obsessed or hyper-focused, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. on their screen, and they just can't let go. They're constantly looking at it, constantly you know, texting. So we know that screen time causes kids to be more shallow, causes kids to lack empathy, causes kids to create different persona. What else? I think one of the other factors is uh, inattention. Mm. Inattention. We could go into entitlement as well because there's that whole aspect of it. But inattention, I think, is a big one as well. It's the amount of screen changes 
that is creating the inattention in, in our brains. We are huge fans of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, I wrote a blog called Why Mr. Rogers is Smarter Than Baby Einstein. And, and the reason is because research has studied for kids under the age of seven, the, it's the amount of screen changes that happen on a television program. Baby Einstein, for instance, a day on the farm that research found that there are seven screen changes in a 20-second span. Mm. So that when a child goes to a farm and visits a farm, they become bored very quickly. Right. Mr. Rogers was the only television, children's television program that did not create inattention in children. Mm. Because Mr. Rogers is talks to you face-to-face. Exactly. And yeah. he feeds the fish. And he feeds. I love and, that And part. then a little train. <laughs> I love that part. I love Mr. Rogers. It, it calms you. It calms you. And, and I think that's so important because, you know, for me as a pediatrician, dealing with a lot of kids who come in and say, I think my son has ADHD, and then they're spending all this time on computers, and they want medication, and they want any other kind of training, and then they're putting them in front of screens. I said, you know, you're undoing Everything we're trying to do with medication, we're training our kids to be distracted. I also think we're training our kids to be irritable. I just see a lot of kids who, they're unsettled. They don't behave well. They're just constantly sort of irritated. That inattention and hyperactivity. Exactly, exactly. In children that otherwise would not be inattentive. And so what I try to say is they need a rhythm to the day. They need calm. They need quiet. So we only have a few minutes left here. Give us some tips. When should a child have his first cell phone? That's based on maturity. That's it's the same. I think it's the same conversation that you have about dating. Bill Gates didn't allow his daughters to have a cell phone until they turned thirteen, and when they did, they were only allowed to use it as a cell phone, and it had no, no internet, data, no internet, and no data. You give a child, you give a fourteen-year-old unlimited internet access, a fourteen-year-old boy, he's looking at pornography, no questions asked. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say that a child should not have a cell phone before the age of twelve or thirteen. Yeah. That's just me, and I'm hoping that by the time my kids turn that age, there's even better filtering programs that are out there. There's a lot of great filtering programs that are out there. Every parent needs to do their research on that. I would start with the internet service provider. Your internet service provider and your cell phone company can help you. A lot of the iPhones and the Androids have built in restrictions and codes that you can already program and download for your kids, Mm -hmm. and you can get an idea of everything that they're doing. Uh, I mean, there's apps out there called Poof, where kids can download Poof. When they hit it, it automatically hides the apps they don't want their parents to see. Oh, my. So parents have got to be educated themselves and download these apps that set the restrictions on the phone so they know what their children and teenagers are downloading and not allow them to download it. How do parents restrict screen time and how much screen time per day outside of school is okay? Again, everything in healthy moderation. Everything in healthy moderation. I would go back to what the American Academy of Pediatrics had established earlier, that zero uh, screen time for those under the age of two and those between the ages of eight and 18, uh, no more than two hours a day apart from homework. Okay. What if your kids scream and kick and call you mean and you're the worst parent in the whole wide world because you've, you're limiting their screen time? Yeah. I think it all begins with the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a talk uh, as we talk about the sex talk. It's a conversation. You don't talk to your kids as toddlers. You can't expect them to talk to you as teenagers. I worked with parents where the teenager will literally, I'm talking straight A, really solid students who have physically attacked their parents because their parents tried to set limits. Truth without grace is received as condemnation. If we try to set limits without having any understanding of why our kids use their technology, we're going to get a backlash. Yeah. 
And I think it's really critical that we as parents lead with grace, mm-hmm. that we as parents lead with empathy so mm-hmm. that we model the empathy for them when we set the tone for the conversation. It allows our kids to be able to want to come to us with their technology issues right. as opposed to us just bringing the hammer down all the time. But also to realize that they like it and some kids can become addicted. And so pulling it out of a child's hands may not be pretty, but that's what a good parent does. Absolutely. Yeah. My guest has been Dr. Josh Straub, who is a wizard of a psychologist, worked with lots and lots of uh, young kids, teenagers, and knows a whole lot about technology. Josh, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. It's an honor. So parents, let's dive in. We're going to talk about electronics, texting, screen time, and your kids. So whether your child is 2 or 20, you need to know what your child's looking at and what they're doing. My first point to ponder is don't be afraid to take charge. Many times parents feel overwhelmed with electronics and they get tired of arguments with their kids. They may not understand the effects of electronics on the kids. Let's be honest, sometimes we don't. There's a lot of research coming out. Electronics came into our lives fast and furiously. Things are changing. You probably grew up talking. Your kids are growing up texting. You went out to the park to play with your friends. You went on bike rides. Maybe you went to a movie or two. Now your friends are talking to each other through Facebook. They're texting. They rarely have conversations. They live in a private world, and that concerns you. And well, it should. But I want you to remember that you are in charge of electronics. Electronics are not in charge of you. And your kids are not in charge of their electronics. You are in charge of those things. So you need to be the one to set the rules. You need to not be afraid. You heard Josh talk about a lot of really hard stuff, the bad effects of electronics on kids, media on kids, social on kids, the different effects it has on girls than it does on boys, different effects that it has when they're young versus when they're old. And it's really scary stuff. But remember, we never parent out of fear. You're in charge. It doesn't mean that you have to be a monster, overly authoritative or mean or demanding, but you must be strong because electronics will have an impact on your kids. They will have an impact on their emotions. They will have an impact on their communication skills, on their relationships, on their self-perception, and you need to control how much influence those electronics have in your kids. You hold all the cards. The electronics don't. So don't be afraid to take charge in your home of all the electronics and understand that you own it all. Two, set rules for the family. One of the best things that you can do and avoid arguments with each of your children is to set family rules. Set some basic guidelines. As Josh said, you know, it's really unrealistic to get rid of all electronics. You can get rid of your television, and that's not hard to do, and that's sometimes a very wise thing to do. But most kids have iPads, and most kids have laptops that they use at school, and they come home, and they use them. But you've got to have some very firm rules around them. I think it's important to have a rule that kids should not be using laptops alone in their bedrooms, particularly if you have a 13-year-old boy. 
you may say, well, I have a straight-A student, and he's so good, and he would never look at pornography. That's not a matter of that. It will find him. And when you allow your child alone time with a laptop or a cell phone or an iPad or the internet alone in his room or her room, trouble will find your child. You're throwing far too much temptation in your child's lap and your child can't handle it. So you need to handle it for him or her. You also need to set rules for the family about how much time you're going to take off of the screen. I think it's a good rule that every other night or every night or a couple of times a week that you have electronic free times in your home. Maybe every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday night after 7 o'clock at night, everyone puts their cell phone up, everybody turns their laptop off, everyone shuts down the iPad, and you talk. Can you imagine? You talk. You interact. You do activities together. You go for a bike ride. You do crafts with your little kids. You read a book. You know, and I will tell you something, when you implement these rules, it's going to be hard at first. It's going to be uncomfortable. Many years ago, when our kids were young, my husband and I decided that after school was out for the months of June, July, and August, we were not going to allow the television to be turned on. Now, in that day, that was a big deal because we didn't have computers and we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have iPads and all that. I will tell you, the first two weeks of summer were miserable. Why? Because everybody in our family was used to the distraction of noise. The noise took our concentration off of each other, off of conversation, off of doing things together. And it sort of occupied some space in our minds. It it took some energy, if you will. When you shut that down, there's some silence. There's this pause time. There's this space opened up in your home and nobody knows what to do with the space. So you open up the space for kids. For kids, what do they automatically do? Well, they fight and they argue and they wrestle. But then when they get past that and they get used to having this quiet, open downtime, guess what we found happened summer after summer after summer? The kids began to get along better. They used to go outside and play. They used to play games. They used to talk. They used to invite friends over. By the end of the summer, we would say, okay, we can turn the television back on. Now, we didn't turn it on during the week when they were doing their schoolwork, but on weekends, whatever, nobody was interested in television. You create a habit for your kids, a diet, if you will, of electronics. And if they're used to a restricted diet of electronics, just like with food, they learn to adapt and they learn to enjoy not having a lot of junk food or junk electronics in their life because it feels better. It takes more discipline, but ultimately it feels better. So when you set those rules for your family, you have to decide how much electronic time are you going to allow during the day for your kids? What age are you going to give your kids a cell phone? And as Josh said, when they get their first cell phone, do not hook it up to the internet. When you give your kids a cell phone or electronics, I think it's important to tell your kids these are family instruments. It's not a child's phone. It's the family phone because it really is. You're paying the bills. You have full access to the conversation, the texts, or anything that transpires on the cell phone. It's very important. No secrets. Secrets get everybody into trouble. And this is important for spouses as well. 
Your spouse should have full access to your email account, your Facebook account, your Twitter account, everything, no secrets. Because when you begin to hide things, and it's easy to hide things through electronics, that's when bad stuff happens. And that's when relationships begin to break down. So make sure you do that. Third, you're not going to like this, but it's important. Abide by the rules yourselves. Very important, moms and dads. Whatever rules you set for your kids, for the family, you need to abide. I can't tell you how many letters I get from mothers or fathers telling me that their husband or wife won't get off their cell phone, won't get off their computer, ignores their child, and it's having a bad effect on their children. We can become addicted to screens just like our kids can. I have seen more friends sit at the dinner table with me when you're out to dinner and they're texting somebody, answering calls from friends or kids or whatever. And really, it's kind of an insult, isn't it? Really what that person is saying, your time out with me doesn't really matter. This person's time matter. And 99% of the time, The conversation that that person is having is not an important conversation. It's really very silly, and it's usually very trivial. So it's really important for parents to check our own behavior and to model responsible, healthy electronic use in our homes. Some of us are hooked on our phones. If you are, face it and deal with it. You need to teach your kids how to be disciplined with their own electronics. In other words, you lead Don't let your kids lead. You lead on how to live with electronics responsibly and carefully and respectfully in a manner that doesn't put down other people or make people feel unacknowledged or make people in the room feel ignored. It's very important. Remember, your kids need and want face-to-face time with you. They just need to be reminded that they want and need these things. And the best way that you can meet your kids' needs is to pull yourself away from your electronics and your screens. It's very, very important. If you're not willing to put up your cell phone and shut down your computer, how in the world can you expect your kids to do the same thing? It's really very hypocritical because your kids are going to follow your example. So it's very important that you pay attention to the example that you're setting in your home. So let's recap. One, don't be afraid to take charge of electronics in your home. Never approach it with fear. Be respectful. Recognize that electronics can have a very bad effect on your kids, and they do have a bad effect on your kids in many different areas that Dr. Straub outlined. So that should be sobering information for you. Respond without fear. Take charge. Two, set rules for your family and make them apply to everyone. No secrets. There should be electronic free times for everyone in the family. Show them discipline. And three, abide by the rules yourselves. Model good electronic use and behavior. Be responsible with it. Make sure that everybody understands that electronic discipline is a family issue. It's not a kid issue. It's an issue for the entire family. And you, as head of your family, mom and dad, need to lead the way and show your kids how to protect yourselves, themselves, from any bad influences that the internet can have in their lives. You can do this. All right, let's get social. 
I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to megmeekermd.com and click on the links. You can send me a question on Facebook or email it to me at askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Our first question for this episode comes from Heather, and she writes, Hi, Dr. Meg. I'm a married mom of a seven-year-old girl, and I'm the primary breadwinner. We're currently living in Mexico on assignment for my career. My husband is an incredible dad who is a musician with sporadic work. What I'm wondering, Dr. Meg, is if you think this non-traditional dynamic could have a negative impact on the way our daughter views men. Thanks. So excited for this podcast. Heather, I love your question. My simple answer is absolutely not. You are one lucky woman, and your daughter is one lucky girl. And here's why. In my experience, many times, fathers can be better caregivers, better nurturers, better at empathizing, better at playing with and stimulating creative activity with their kids than mothers can. I'm not saying this is your situation. This is my experience and what I have seen in couples where the mother is the breadwinner and the dad is an at-home dad. You know, we have this stereotype in our mind that fathers are distant and aloof and they're not nurturing and they're not kind and they don't rock our kids in the middle of the night. They just feed them and put them back to bed. And that's really not true. As a matter of fact, a daughter receiving that kind of love and care and comfort from a strong man will improve her future relationships with men. She will look more highly on men. She will respect men more. And in my book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, I wrote a chapter called Be the Man You Want Your Daughter to Marry. And in other words, it's important for fathers to model strong character to their daughters because their daughters gravitate towards that kind of character as they get older and they seek those character qualities out in a man that they want to marry. So my answer to you, in short, is I can't see one negative in this type of relationship where you are earning the money and your husband is staying home with your daughter. My concern is that you, my friend, might be missing out a little bit because if you're away a lot from your daughter working, I don't know how many hours a week you work, um, but if you're working a ton, you could be missing out, but you are the only one who's missing out here. They're not. So I think that you're one lucky lady. Finally, I want to encourage you in one thing. Your daughter is going to pick up on how you relate to your husband. If you respect your husband and you praise your husband and you talk highly about him to your daughter, that's going to determine the respect that your daughter has for your husband more than anything. If your daughter hears you put your husband down, criticize him, demean him in any way, then she's going to feel negatively towards her father, and you never want that. So what I would encourage you to do is be very thankful for your situation, be very respectful of your husband, be very encouraging of your husband, and Praise your husband in front of your daughter, and that's one of the best things that you can do for your daughter, to, to have a great relationship with her dad and to have a great relationship with her husband later on in life. 
So Heather, I hope that helps you out and I hope that puts your mind to rest. Enjoy the great situation that you have. Our second question comes from Scott and here it is. My wife and I made the difficult decision to cut off all contact with our 19-year-old daughter. We found out she has a 44-year-old boyfriend and has hidden the relationship from us for two years, and there have been many lies over the years. We supported her financially for the first two years of college, but we didn't know she was sneaking away on weekends to be with him. We cannot accept her relationship with him, which she has asked us to do, and I guess I really want to know, did we make the right decision in cutting her off? How do we stay strong when we love her and miss her? Thank you for your guidance. Well, Scott, I can hear in your question heartache, and I'm very sorry for the heartache that you're going through. And I think that any parent in this situation is going to be hurting a lot. First of all, let me gently say to you that I disagree with your decision in cutting your daughter off. Here's why. Your daughter began hiding things from you and lying to you because something is troubling her. Perhaps she felt she couldn't trust you. Perhaps she felt you were going to come down really hard on her. Perhaps she was looking for attention outside the home. What was it about this man that attracted your daughter? Why did he want her? Did he manipulate her? Did he say things to her that she felt she needed to hear? In other words, many times in situations like this, young girls fall under the spell, if you will, of an older man. It's intriguing. They they see this man as sort of a savior, if you will. Here's what I think. Of course, you disagree with your daughter's decision. You don't like the relationship. You disagree with... Uh, you disapprove of the relationship that she has with her boyfriend, and I would agree with you. A 19-year-old living with a 44-year-old leads to nowhere good. But here's the reality. Over time, she stands a very high likelihood, a very high chance of breaking up with this man, and then where will she be? She will need someone to fall back on. She's going to need loving arms to come to, to help her, to explain to her. But it doesn't mean that you need to cut her off. You need to stick with her. You need to let her know we strongly disapprove of this relationship. And here are the reasons. We believe that the relationship is not good for you. It's not helpful for you. It doesn't bring out the best in you. And you come up with your list. You tell them to your daughter and you let it go. And then you say to your daughter, no matter what, we will be here for you. We won't support your lifestyle. We're not going to give you money to maintain this lifestyle, but we will always love you and be here for you. I understand why you feel that you needed to cut off a relationship. You're treating it as tough love, very much like a parent would if a child was involved in drugs or alcohol or um, you know other any other really bad addictive kind of behavior. But to me, those are different. Those are those are addictive behaviors that have power over people. And you only cut off communication with a child as a last resource to say, I am going to allow you to hit rock bottom so that you come to the realization that you need to get help. And so we do it to lead the young adult to a worse place so that they wake up and they change course. We don't do it because we disapprove of them. Your cutting off communication with your daughter is not doing it for her own good. She knows how you feel. 
You cutting off communication with her doesn't change her mind in living with her boyfriend. If anything, your cutting off communication pushes her farther into this man's arms. That's very different from the dynamic of cutting off a child who needs to get off of alcohol or drugs. So here's what you can do. You can disapprove of her behavior. You cannot support her behavior. You cannot give her money, but you can be kind. You can have her back. You can love her. You can keep your your home open to her. Of course, if she comes home, the rules are the rules. She doesn't bring the boyfriend home and sleep in the same bedroom. You engage her in conversation. You you gently try to probe and help her as to why she feels she needs to be with an older man. And finally, I think that you and your wife need to look at the the very beginning of this. What was operating in your daughter's life that led her to feel that she needed to hide from you? What was she afraid of? What was operating in your daughter's heart that led her to feel she needed a 44-year-old man? So do some soul searching here and try to figure that out. I think if you try to see life from her perspective a little bit more, you're going to develop some empathy and some compassion that is really going to help reconcile and restore this relationship with your daughter. Scott, I believe and you believe that you are healthier for your daughter than her 44-year-old boyfriend. So don't deprive her of you and your love. And I really believe that even if you don't intervene, it's going to end. And you, my friend, need to be there when it all comes crashing down. As always, parents, keep sending me your questions at askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I know that for many of you, this has been a hard episode to listen to. Don't be discouraged, be educated, be empowered, and leave the podcast today knowing that you can do the right thing, that you can teach responsible use of electronics in your home. You are the parent. And always remember, every time your kids are with you and they're on a screen, they're not with you. And what your kids really need is more face-to-face with you less face-to-face with the screen. Be selfish with your kids. So parents, if you're sitting at the end of this podcast thinking, Dr. Meg, oh, are you kidding? This was one of the most discouraging podcasts I've ever listened to. It's overwhelming. Screens are going to ruin my kids. Let me tell you something. I know it feels overwhelming, but you can do this. You can help your kids. You can navigate this territory. It's going to take time. But I just want you to remember, go back to those three very simple points. They will help give you the motivation, the help, the encouragement you need to win what feels to you now like an unwinnable battle. You can. So parents, let's recap. One, don't be afraid to take charge of electronics in your home. Two, Set rules for your family and make them apply to everyone. And three, abide by the rules yourselves. And remember always, great kids are raised, not born. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Parenting Great Kids. You can like Dr. Meg on Facebook and follow her on Twitter at Meg Meeker. 
Just as a reminder, for a parenting plan that works, go to megmeekermd.com and click on the Strong Parent Project. Thank you for listening, and remember to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe.